I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 9. Now, I know it's rainy outside and it's gloomy and muggy, but, but nobody in here needs to be gloomy or muggy, right? Somebody needs to nudge your elbow, nudge your neighbor's elbow and say, wake up a little bit. Wake up just a little bit. Because if we're going to be boring today, I'll just grab a chair and sit right in front of you and just talk to you about Jesus today. You want to have some fun today? Let's have a little fun in the Word of God. All right? You ready? Acts chapter 9. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along on the screen. also want to invite you to join in on version right now and follow our outline online. Acts chapter 9. The title of today's message is The Amazing Chase. The Amazing Chase. Starting in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if you found any men or women among belonging to the way, that he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Then Saul got up from the ground and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. They took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. Remember that scripture right there. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he said. Get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. Verse 12, in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so he can regain his sight. Lord, Ananias said, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings and the Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Ananias left and entered the house. And he placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me so that you can regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, in some translations it says immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some days. Verse 20, immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. Let's pray. God, thank you for allowing us to have access to your word. And Lord, I ask that the truth would come alive to us. Lord, help us all to realize today that in you we are made new and we have a clean slate. I thank you, Father, that you woke us up this morning and greeted us with grace and mercy. You are so wonderful, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. And we promise to give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated today.
Does anybody in here have any regrets in life? <laughs> How much time do we have? I have a regret from this past week. I get this this weird sickness at night. It's called hunger before I go to bed. <laughs> it's a problem. And you're sitting around and you're, you know you're ready to go to bed, but it's just you get hungry. And you're thinking, I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Well, one night this past week while we were visiting my in-law's house, I said, you know what? I'm not going to gorge on something and eat something heavy before I go to bed. I'll just grab one of these uh, oranges. You know what a cutie is? Those things are wonderful. I mean, you can just peel them and pop them, and it's great. And so I grabbed a couple of these cuties. I mean, the smaller, the more you can eat, right? <laughs> so I grabbed a couple of these cuties, and I sat in the bed, and I, I peeled this cutie, and I, and I ate this thorns or this tangerine. It was about 4.30 in the morning. I shot straight up in the bed, and I could have swore there was an orange tree growing out of my mouth. I had so much acid in my throat. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to die. And I thought to myself, I will never eat a cutie before bed ever again. I regretted that decision. It was a horrible feeling. How could something so good and so small pack such a big punch? It was unbelievable what I was feeling. I didn't know what to do. And so I went downstairs. And I reached over. I said, Melissa. I mean, you thought the world was ending. And she said, what? I said, does your mom have any Tums or something? And she said, yeah, go down there and check. And so I walked downstairs, and it's dark, and I'm reaching up in this cabinet that I have no idea what I'm looking for. And all of a sudden, I heard a voice that said, hey, Justin. And I thought there was a devil in the room. And I went, what in the world? And her mom had gone downstairs because one of the grandkids kicked her out of bed. So I had gone from acid reflux to ready to cast demons out. And so it was just a <laughs> all, all from a cutie. And so <laughs> I regretted that decision. And, you know, some other regrets we have in life. Do you ever look back and look at pictures from your past? That's frightening. I, I've gone back and looked in yearbooks. I looked at myself. I looked at my wife. And I'm like, what was I thinking? Like, I, What's bad about this is I thought I looked cool. That's what's scary. Like at the time, I thought I was legit. But now looking back, I'm thinking, please don't ever show these to anybody as long as you live, ever. <laughs> but we have regrets in life. We all have regrets. And there's some that are funny, like the ones I mentioned to you. But we have some serious regrets in life. And when you look at Saul on the road to Damascus, you see a very zealous and passionate man who actually thought he was doing good and doing God a service by persecuting the church. If you stopped him and asked him the reasons, he might have said something like this. Jesus of Nazareth is dead. Do you expect me to believe that a crucified nobody is the promised Messiah? He might have said, according to our law, anybody who is hung on a tree is cursed. And would God take a cursed false prophet and make him the Messiah? He may have said no. His followers are preaching that Jesus is both alive and doing miracles through them. But he may have said their power comes from Satan and not God. This is a dangerous sect. And Paul could have said, I intend to eliminate it before it destroys our historic Jewish faith. This was a man on a mission. You see, the conversion of Saul, the leading persecutor of the Christians, was perhaps the greatest event in church history after the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost. The next great event would, would be the conversion of the Gentiles and, and Saul would become the apostle to the Gentiles and God was continuing to work out his plan to bring the gospel to the whole world. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He says this about Paul, Saul becoming Paul. Paul was a great man. 
And I have no doubt that on the way to Damascus, he rode a very high horse. But only a few seconds would be enough to alter the man. How soon God brought him down. You see, Saul made some wonderful discoveries that day. To begin with, he discovered to his surprise that Jesus of Nazareth was actually alive. Of course, the believers had been constantly affirming this, but Saul had refused to accept their testimony. And if Jesus was alive, then Paul had to change his mind about Jesus and about his message. He had to repent, a difficult thing for a self-righteous Pharisee to do. Saul had discovered that he was a lost sinner who was in danger of the judgment of God. Saul thought that he had been serving God, when in reality he had been persecuting the Messiah. And when measured by the holiness of Jesus Christ, Saul's good works and legalistic self-righteousness looked like filthy rags. All of his values changed. He was going to be a new person because he was about to trust Jesus Christ. Saul was a bad man on an amazing, amazing chase to capture, imprison, kill, and destroy anyone who believed in Jesus. And it's at the height of this chase that Saul finds himself in a very unfamiliar place, captured. Captured by the amazing love of Jesus Christ. And that takes me to my first point this morning. Write this down. Take some notes. Number one, God knows how to capture us. God knows how to capture us. We know from Acts 26 that Jesus said to Saul at the time of his conversion, Saul, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. A goad was a stick with which one poked an ox to get him moving. And sometimes an ox would kick up its heels at the stick. Jesus was saying, Saul, your kicking against the interior workings of the Holy Spirit of God is pointless. These goads included Stephen who prayed for his murderers when he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And the men and women who bravely refused to deny the Lord suffering, imprisonment, and even death instead. Such goads kept poking and prodding at Saul. And in moments of honesty, he might have wondered whether his attacks on the church were indeed just. He might have thought, how can people suffer and die like this if they are believing and preaching a lie? But Saul would kick against the goads and push the thoughts away. He knew something might be wrong, but was unwilling to take the time to examine himself or repent. He was oppressed by guilt, but silenced his conscience by giving himself even further into his terrible pursuit. Saul was spiritually blind and did not understand what the Old Testament really taught about the Messiah. And like many others of his countrymen, he stumbled over the cross because he depended on his own righteousness and not on the righteousness of God. Many self-righteous religious people today do not see their need for a Savior if you tell them that they are sinners. They, in fact, resent it. The great hunter who was going to wreak havoc on the Damascus church entered Damascus led by the hand, blind, weak, and impotent. Saul was frightened into despair. And this was the midnight, the midnight of his soul, his physical blindness, paralleled with his spiritual blindness. Though he was blind, he had seen Christ. And as he saw Christ, he also saw himself for the very first time. His life was utterly wrong. He was a criminal before God. He later wrote in Romans 7:18, Nothing good lives in me. As Christ's enemy, he had drawn blood. 
And now darkness was everywhere, especially within his own soul. The hunter had been hunted down and there was no escape. Church, can I tell you today that Christ is always the hunter? He brings us to our knees, acknowledging how desperately we need him. How many of you need the Lord today? If there was ever anyone who had come to the end of himself, who was truly poor in spirit, it was Saul. But whatever to my prophet, he said in Philippians 3, 7, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Are you at the end of your resources? Do you feel completely helpless in life? Does everything seem to be going wrong? Have you given up? Our Damascus roads are usually less dramatic than those of Saul. But they are meant to have the same effect. To break our compulsive independence and arrogance. To bring us to Christ for salvation or recommitment. Our Damascus roads are meant to show us our emptiness and reveal to us the greatness of Jesus Christ because he is great. God had to completely rock Saul's world in order to get his attention. God literally chased Saul down and had to capture him to get his attention. And for some of you today, you may have come face to face with God and you have a choice to make. Become a friend of God or become an enemy of God. Wow. Saul could have decided not to follow Christ. Even after his encounter, but his life would have been miserable. If you choose not to follow Christ, your life will be miserable. You had the same opportunity to, to surrender to God's plan for your life and follow him. God has a way of bringing us to our knees to help us realize how much we truly need him. He has a way of pulling the floor out from underneath us. He has a way of taking the wind out of our sail, not because he finds it humorous to see us struggle. No, but he does this to get our attention and to put us on the right track. Church, our greatest need in life is forgiveness. So God sent us a savior. Don't ever forget that. Your greatest need in life is forgiveness. So God gave us Jesus. When you meet Jesus, everything changes. When you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, your life will never be the same again. You will begin to see how good God is. We also begin to see like Saul, according to Isaiah 64 and 6, how all of us have become like something unclean. And all of our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. All of us wither like a leaf and our iniquities carry us away like the wind. It causes us to realize that we are lost and need to be rescued. I love this right here. Being captured by Jesus is the greatest rescue you will ever experience. Being captured by Jesus is the greatest rescue you will ever experience. This has become quickly, very quickly, one of my favorite quotes by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said this about his own conversion. I did not then see what is now the most shining and obvious thing. The divine humility which will accept a convert even on such terms. The prodigal son had at least walked home on his own feet. But who can duly adore that Lord which will open the high gates to a prodigal who is brought in kicking, struggling, resentful, and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance of escape? The words compel them to come in have been so abused by wicked men that we shudder at them. But properly understood, they plumb the depth of the divine mercy. Listen to what he says right here. The hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men. And his compulsion is our liberation. The hardness of God is kinder 
than the softness of men and his compulsion is our liberation. God knows how to draw us in and that will give us freedom. He knows how to capture us. Can somebody say a good amen? So God knows how to capture us. Secondly today, God knows how to care for us. When I was reading the main text to you, I told you to remember a verse that says there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And I want to say right here how I am thankful for Ananias. And let me explain that. We see, we don't hear much about Ananias, but what we do is very powerful. See, learning about Ananias in this passage of Scripture lets us know three things. God uses Ananias to lead Saul to the truth found only in Jesus Christ. So number one, every person we share the love and hope of Jesus with is significant. Every person we share the love and hope of Jesus with is significant. God doesn't give up on anyone. And he didn't give up on Paul. And he certainly will never give up on you. On April 21st, 1855, Edward Kimball led one of his Sunday school boys to faith in Christ. Little did he know that D.L. Moody would one day become one of the world's leading evangelists. So everybody we share the love of God with is, is significant. So I'm thankful for Ananias. The second thing we can learn from him is God places people in our lives to speak the truth to us when no one else will. Anybody have those people in your life? You see, Ananias simply obeyed the Lord and spoke the truth to Saul. You see, I have people in my life for a reason that will tell me the truth. I have them there on purpose. It's the truth that's hard to swallow, but it's the truth that will set us free. I'm talking about people who will be honest with you about your hair. Does my hair look good? Girl, no, it don't. Let me help you. <laughs> everybody needs those people. Because if not, you'd walk outside and scare everybody. I'm talking about the friends that you can go to and that person you can go to and say, you like my outfit? And they're like, eh, no, <laughs> I don't because it's not helping you. <laughs> those people, right? The, the people that will just tell you, tell you like it is and, and um, be honest with you. I would rather somebody be honest with me than somebody just, it looks awesome, and I look like a dork. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, but here, but let, me, let me also say this. Speaking the truth to somebody is not your green pass to be hateful and ugly. There's a difference. If you don't have the relationship to speak the truth to somebody, shut your mouth. <laughs> I don't know how nicer to say that, but um, if you don't have a relationship with somebody to say you don't like their hair, they probably don't like yours either, so it's all good, all right? Just, just let it roll. But you need those people who will be honest with you and tell you the truth when nobody else will. That's what Ananias did. And thirdly, it lets us know that God is working for our good even in the midst of our battle. You need to hear this one. It lets us know that God is working for our good even in the midst of our battle. Romans 8.28 says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son so that He would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, he also glorified. God is a detailed God. And he was able to line up everyone's paths for one moment to bring them together all that God, so God could change Saul to Paul. He's a detailed God. God is working in the midst of our trial. I'm so thankful today that God is an overtime God. Can I get an amen? 
He's working on my behalf even when I'm not. He's working things out in my life even as we speak. That's why we are told to trust in God with all of our heart. Lean not on our own understanding, but in all of our ways. Acknowledge Him and He will make our paths straight. If you need a job, He's going to work it out. If you need peace in your home, He's going to work it out. If you need money in the bank, He's going to work it out. If you need healing in your body, He's going to work it out. If you need direction in your life, He's going to work it out. Whatever you need, if you'll just love Him and trust Him, He's going to work it out. Amen. Somebody shout, He'll work it out. I'm so thankful that God is working in my behalf, even when I'm not. That leads me to my last point today. If you're taking notes, write this down. God knows how to send us on the chase. God knows how to capture us. God knows how to care for us. And God knows how to send us on the chase. Let me teach you something for for just a minute. It's imperative that I explain something here. God corrects those he loves, right? Pay attention to what I told you earlier about Saul's assignment in life. He was on an assignment from the Pharisees. The people that were supposedly representing God. So Saul thought he was doing the Lord's work. Paul, which was Saul, actually thought he was a godly man doing good. See, I believe that God can and will use people regardless of their past. And we say and believe that if God can use a man like Saul, then surely he can use me. After all, isn't it Saul, the the one that God used to to write the majority of the New Testament? What I'm trying to tell you is this. Paul was committing some of the worst crimes you could imagine, but he was deceived. Listen to what I'm telling you. When we blatantly and knowingly sin, yes, God will forgive us every single time, but there are repercussions for your decision. If there were no price to pay for some things, we'd all be running around acting like a bunch of fools. Galatians 6, 7 through 8 says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let's keep going. Pay close attention to the word immediately in verse 20. It says, immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. You don't read where Saul gave an excuse or gave a reason why he didn't feel qualified. Romans 8, 11 28 through 29 says, regardless, regarding the gospel, they are enemies for your advantage. But regarding election, they are loved because of the patriarchs. Since God's gracious gifts and calling are irrevocable. One translation says, the calling of God comes without repentance. In other words, God has an awesome plan for you, but it's up to you if you're going to repent and follow him. That's when you'll receive your directions. Far too long, many of you have let the devil convince you that you have no purpose because of your past. Hear me this morning. Your past does not define you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. I want to point your attention later on in the book of Acts when Paul was testifying Of what happened to him. Acts 22 and 16. Now now Paul said. And now why delay? 
get up and be baptized and wash away your sins by calling on his name. God was sending him on the chase for souls. God was revealing to him the plan he had for him, regardless of his past. Acts 26, 16 through 18, Paul testified about the words of Jesus. Jesus said to him, Paul, get up and stand on your feet. For I've appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness of what you have seen and what I will reveal to you. I will rescue you from the people and from the Gentiles. I will send, I will, I now send you to them to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that by faith in me, they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified. Church, please hear me today. And you'll hear me say this all of the time. Our purpose in life is to lead men and women to Jesus Christ. God's job is to use them for his glory. And every person is important to God. You are important to God. If you find yourself in a chase today, stop running. Let him capture you. It's the greatest rescue you'll ever experience. Let him care for you. Let him wipe away every tear from your eye. Let him pick you up and help you discover his awesome plan for your life. Stop letting your past destroy you and define you. God has a plan for you. You are a child of God and he loves you. 2 Corinthians 5, 16-21 From now on then, we do not know anyone in a purely human way. If we have known Christ in a purely human way, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, I read it to you a minute ago, is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. Everything is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In Jesus Christ, you become the righteousness of God. You are a prized possession. In Jesus, you have a clean slate. You have a new beginning and an amazing future ahead of you. 2014 is going to be the most amazing year you have ever experienced because you're not going to take into the new year what needs to be left behind. Today, we're going to physically nail some things to the cross in a few minutes that no longer need to be in our lives. Things that weigh us down. Sin that is destroying us, fear that is crippling us, regret that is crushing us, depression that is destroying us, we're going to nail it to the cross because it's at the cross that Jesus shed his blood for us, the blood that washes us white as snow. It's the blood of Jesus that shows us the love of God. Can I preach like I need to this morning? For there to be forgiveness of sin, there had to be bloodshed. So Jesus became the final. Somebody shout final. The final sacrifice for our ugliness, for our wretchedness, for our unrighteousness, for our sin. It's the blood of Jesus that cried out to our Heavenly Father. Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. It's the blood that says it ain't over. It's the blood that says no weapon formed against me shall prosper. I wish I could find somebody here today that is thankful for the blood of Jesus. It's the blood that has the last word. It's the blood that still has the same power. 
power. Wonder-working power. It's the blood that breaks every chain of addiction. It's the blood that cures every sickness. It's the blood that heals every disease. It's the blood that's on my side. It's the blood that's fighting for me. It's the blood that sets me free. Freedom from bondage. Freedom from addiction. Freedom from guilt. Freedom from regret. Somebody help me today. It's the blood. It's the blood that cancels every every debt that I owe. It's the blood that picks me up when I fall down. It's the blood that greets me every morning in the form of grace and mercy. Somebody's not hearing me today. I wish somebody would recognize the blood is on your side. I thank God every time I think about the blood of Jesus. Every time I think about how the sin in my life would have destroyed me. I thank God for the blood of Jesus. Every time I think about the sin in my life that should have destroyed me, I thank God for the blood of Jesus. And every time I think about the sin in my life that could have destroyed me, I thank God for the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus that set us free. I'm here today to put somebody on notice that you don't have to carry the baggage into 2014. The blood of Jesus was shed that you can be free. John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever will believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We are not rescued from our sins by faith in Christ plus something else. We are rescued by faith in Christ alone. And I've just came to let somebody know that it's in Christ alone that your hope is found. That Christ alone is your light, is your strength, is your courage, is your peace. There's no guilt, no pain, no sorrow, and no shame. It's in Christ and Christ alone. Amen. Stand up with me. I'm done. It's in Christ alone. 